The first reading can be found on page 628 of the Church Bibles, if you want to follow it. It is Psalm 139, commencing at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading can be found on page 1,124 in the Church Bibles, 1124. It's taken from Acts chapter 27 and starting at verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adramitium, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there, we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Cnidus. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. 
before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Corda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete, Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, and if I haven't had a chance to say it to you, a very happy new year to you. I hope you've had a great start to 2017, hopefully. uh, For many of us, it'll be a year of growing deeper in our relationship with God, of serving him, and of seeing his kingdom come in our lives and here in South Sea. And as part of that, we are starting this year a new sermon series, and can I invite you just to find those cards that were in your news sheets very briefly. These cards uh, tell us about the term ahead and what we're going to be doing Sunday by Sunday as our major theme or topic for each Sunday. On one side are the evening services at six o'clock, where we're going to be looking at the spiritual gifts and some tough, tough questions that often face the Christian faith. But this morning, we're starting a series called The 24-7 Christian, which looks at what it looks like to live out the Christian faith in every single area of our lives, throughout the week, hour by hour. And there are some unusual topics there. I'm sure some of you are laughing at a few of them. But the idea is that actually, the Christian faith shouldn't just be for Sundays, shouldn't just be for morning quiet time, shouldn't just be for perhaps that midweek meeting. It's to affect the whole of life and everything that we do. And so a slightly different way of slicing the discipleship cake is to look at, well, what does that mean for our everyday activities? 
often our relationship with God looks like a series of boxes that we have in our lives and then a box for God. There's a box perhaps for families and family relationships and that can be a bit of a crazy box sometimes. There's sometimes a a bigger box perhaps for our work life or what we do with the majority of our day. There's perhaps yet another box for our hopes and our desires and our dreams for the future. And then somewhere in the midst of all those boxes, there's probably a quite big box for many of us, a box for God. But actually, that's not the right idea for Christian discipleship. The right idea is actually God holds all things together, that he is in all things. So all those boxes actually go into the box that is God, actually. They're contained in him, that he affects every single part of our lives. And Christians are called, really, to live lives where God has influence over all of it. And so we're going to be looking at that over the next few weeks, up until Easter. And we're starting with a bit of an unusual one. Uh, You'll see commuting, driving under the influence. All should be made clear in a moment, but let me pray for us first. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are Lord of all that you are Lord not just of our services, of our time with you that we devote, but also of those times where we are busy in everyday activity. And we pray over the next few weeks, teach us what that looks like, that we might live fully for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the focus this morning is on this idea of commuting. And for many people, uh, commute is part of life. It's going in and out of work. It's the first thing, the first major activity many people engage with at the beginning of the day. But I want to talk a bit broader than just that and talk about travel in general and those times where we are journeying, maybe for short amounts of time, maybe for long amounts of time. Some statistics before we begin. In the UK, approximately 75% of those in work commute to their workplace. The average length of a commute in the UK is 45 minutes, which is the longest in Europe. It's more than double the shortest, which are the Italians. In total, the average worker spends six years of their working life commuting, and they're quite stressful years at times. In fact, it's been worked out that a lifetime of commuting can reduce life expectancy by two whole years. My own story is that as a school teacher, when, before I was ordained, I used to commute one and a half hours every single day. And I can tell you that by the end of the week, I was shattered, absolutely shattered, not just because of the kids, but actually the journeying as well. And many people here have in the past or are at the present involved in much longer commutes. But despite those pressures of commuting, or any pressures where we spend time travelling long distances, that time, let me suggest, can be redeemed to be a blessing rather than a curse. It can even be the key to how the rest of the day pans out. And even if you don't commute on a daily basis, there are lessons here about how to profit from those times when you, like when commuting, find yourselves in situations that are just a means to an end, where you're not doing what you'd prefer to be doing, where actually you're in in-between locations and situations. What can we do in those seemingly dead times 
which could otherwise be wasted and could lead us to being frustrated. Well, I've just got two very simple thoughts for us to think about this morning from our passages. And the first is this, that God is on 24-7 readiness. And the British Army, at any given time, at least one battalion of the SAS, is on 24-7 hour readiness to de- be deployed in any place in the world, whether jungle or the Arctic or city environment, whether morning, afternoon or evening, always prepared at any moment to go. 24-7 readiness. And I want to suggest that our God is of a similar readiness for us. All day, every day, he's ready to meet with us, to be there, to be found. Our Old Testament reading from Psalm 139 was David's exclamation of praise and wonder at the omnipresent God who was always around and never missing in action. He said this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. It's interesting that David probably wrote this psalm in his 20s, whilst on the run from King Saul, where he was harshly persecuted by the king of Israel. He was on the run from enemy forces. He was on the run from his own countrymen. He had to find places of refuge. He never was able to stay in one place more than a few days or weeks. He knew what it was to be under great pressure and having to be constantly on the move. But during that time, he wrote this psalm probably. And he explained and exclaimed the wonderful truth that he had learnt. That wherever he went, whatever he did, God was right there with him. To be met, to give strength and courage and to give endurance in that long season before he was made king. That if he was hounded up to the highest mountain by the armies of Israel, well, God was there. If he was forced into the deepest ravine, well, God was there. If he had to make a breakthrough at the beginning of the day, well, God was there. If he had to, after a long march, find refuge at the end of the day, well, God was there. He was there wherever he went to be met with, to strengthen and counsel him. Often when uh, one is commuting or journeying, one is in an in-between place. You've left the comfort of home and are about to go to another destination where you'd much rather be, just like David. He'd much rather have been made king of Israel, but he was waiting in an in-between time. And yet in those times, God is there. He's there to be met with wherever you are and wherever you go. It's the same lesson for us. It's interesting that many of you will know the name William Wilberforce, who was a great Victorian Christian reformer, instrumental in the abolishment of the slave trade here in this country. You've probably either read the books or seen the recent movie. And he was a member of Parliament and a fairly wealthy person who petitioned Parliament for his whole lifetime almost to that end. And his story was that he decided to do exactly this, make the most of his journeying 
to his workplace. You see, like many MPs in that era, he had the option of living very close to Parliament and just taking a short carriage ride to Parliament every day. But he actually decided to do the exact opposite. He lived further away from Parliament and chose to walk to Parliament every single day. And during that walk, he chose to, every single day, memorise, to meditate, and to repeat out loud loud Psalm 119, praying it through every single day. And you might say, I would never want to do that. But it's interesting that he points back and said, that time of meeting with God and his word, that time of that journey, was instrumental in giving me strength day after day, facing overwhelming odds opposing me to see justice come in the nation. And because of that time of meeting God, where it could have been a wasted time, he was able to shape the destiny of this nation. He was able to redeem that time to be a blessing rather than a curse. Because he knew, he knew that God was right there during that time. And so a lesson for us, really, that wherever we are, however we're traveling, whatever we're doing, God is right there and able to meet with us. Secondly, more briefly, whenever we travel, whenever we commute, whenever we are in those situations of in-between times of journeying, we are to be reminded of the bigger journey. Reepicheep is the uh, name of the warrior mouse who accompanies the children in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, uh, one of the chronicles of Narnia, in their journey to find the seven lost lords of Narnia. But during this journey, if you've read the book, Reepicheep expresses his desire to be part of a much bigger journey. He says this, While I can, I sail east in the Dawn Treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. When she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I have not reached Aslan's country, I shall sink with my nose pointed towards the sunrise. Despite being on an amazing adventure, he knew there was a much bigger one that he wanted to be on, that he was part of. And digging into this idea of travelling, of journeying, it should remind us that we're on a much bigger travel, a much bigger journey. And that is a journey with a destination that isn't here, but is with the Lord in heaven. That the whole of our lives, in one sense, can be understood as a metaphor, as a one-way commute, one-way journey, to be at the Lord's side from earth to Aslan's country, to that place with him. It's what hopefully each and every one here is on. And contemplating that idea, there's two very simple questions to end with. Firstly, are you on the right journey. We need to make sure and the destination that we're travelling to in our lives is the right destination. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount spoke of two possible paths you could find yourselves on in life. You can find yourself on the wide, the path that starts at the wide gate and the easy way. Many are on that path. But its end is destruction, Jesus says. It's not a good journey at all. Don't be on that path. Or you can be on the path that starts with the narrow gate, 
that actually relatively few are on. But its end is eternal life, the narrow gate, the gate that is Jesus, the gate of the sheep. And he says that if you come through me, well, that leads to the best destination, that ultimate destination at the Father's side. And so this morning, ask the question afresh, are you on that right journey? Hopefully, everyone here will be able to say yes. But if not, well, find out from someone who does know that journey what that means. And secondly, one last question. Do you still know where you're going? Do you still know where you're going? Often in my commuting, when I was a teacher, during the winter months, the morning fog would descend, like it did this morning, actually. Often made it hard to know where you're going and led to disorientation. And in life, actually, the morning fog can descend making it hard to see where you're going and leading to disorientation. It can descend because of life's events, the traumas and the trials and the temptations of life that are just part of human existence, the events that we're not expecting, the long-term pressures that we're wrestling with, can all just obscure the way ahead. It can descend simply because of the busyness of life and the demands on our time. And there's a need, actually, to keep our gaze forward, looking to their ultimate destination. C.S. Lewis put it like this, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. That idea of just having a gaze set towards that ultimate destination. I'm going to end with a bit of a personal and embarrassing story. You must promise not to laugh too much. It's not encouraging the choir are laughing already. Good. Um, I mentioned that I used to drive quite large distances every single day. And by the end of that time, I was a really good driver. But actually, it wasn't always so. Uh, I, it took me a long time to pass my driving test. I won't say how many times, but it was more than three, let's just say. You said you wouldn't laugh. And it's interesting. I remember one particular incident when I was learning to drive that I found myself veering into the oncoming traffic repeatedly and my poor driving instructor almost having a heart attack each and every time and he he's worked trying to work out what is going on why are you veering into this oncoming traffic and so he observed me and then reflected and he said I know exactly what's going on it's because you're looking at the oncoming traffic and he said this line, which I'll never forget, keep your eyes in front of you because what you're looking at is where you'll end up going. And it's true for us on the journey we're on. Where you're looking at is where we'll end up going. If our gaze is distracted to all other places, obscured and <laughs> turned around, well, we may well find ourselves going off track. But if our gaze is straight ahead, if our gaze is to that ultimate destination, well, that's where we will go. Let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Lord of our whole lives, and thank you that you are always present to meet with us, to strengthen us, to guide us and lead us. And thank you on our journeying, on those times and places where we are in between situations, Lord, that they are those places where you want to be with us. Teach us, I pray, O Lord, to meet with you in such times. And remind us, we pray, of that bigger journey that each and every one of us are on. Keep us on the narrow path that leads to eternal life. Help us, Lord, to have our gaze fixed ahead of us to the glory that awaits. Keep us from going astray this day and always. Amen.